And welcome everybody back to the Things Christians Want to Know podcast. I am Nate Johnstone. And I am Paul Anderson. You are. You are very good at it. Thank you. (laughs) I like being me. I'd rather be me than, I guess, than somebody else. Although, that that might be nice to be somebody else for a while. That's healthy. That's healthy. See, I'd like to remain Nate. I just want to, like, have Superman's powers. Mm. I don't want to be Superman. That's, I mean, Kansas? No, thanks. I'll stay in Minnesota. (laughs) No offense to everyone in Kansas, by the way. I've been there. It's a lovely place. Um, We were just talking before we hit the record button about all the reasons there are to hope these days, folks. There are a lot of reasons to hope, but God Mm -hmm. himself is number one reason to hope. The number one reason to not get too upset, too spun out, too um, angry. Let's give our rage to Jesus. I encourage the reading of the Psalms. David was very emotional person. He he had a, a propensity for both depression and rage. And even those of us who don't typically have issues like that, in days like this, are finding ourselves experiencing them. And I'm seeing rage in people that I've never seen it before, and I'm, I'm seeing depression and downcast spirit in people I've never seen it before. Um, so we need to double down on mm-hmm. Jesus and on our hope and on our source. Mm-hmm. What do we do when we can't find help? Where does our help come from? We look to the mountains mm-hmm. and it comes from Him. Our help cometh from the Lord, our the maker of cometh from the Lord. And so these things of earth should allow them to grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace in Mm -hmm. in these troubling days. Amen? Amen. And I do think there's reason to hope. And I think there is, never before in my life has there been a better time for a great move of God. Oh my. Let's put it that way. Mm. Never before has there been as great a need either. But there's also never been such a great time. And if you look at the Bible, God loves bringing great moves of God in what to a human looks like the worst possible time, the dumbest Mm -hmm. possible time. Mm -hmm. And some people, I I hear naysayers sometimes talk about America and we're we're so reprobate and perverse and terrible, like God's God's just going to judge us. He's going to send a comet or something. I mean, he's, he's, he's not going to help. And I, and I encourage those people to read the Bible because that's not the example we see there. Mm-hmm. We see Rome, the most perverse, reprobate, horrible, oppressive, racist, murdering place. One of the worst governments ever. One of the best governments ever in terms of efficiency, <laughs> but one of the worst in terms of how they treat people. And they occupy Israel and they treat them like dirt, and everything is bad, and the faith of many has grown cold. The people who've taken over the uh, synagogues are legalists who are very abusive, and God looks down in the midst of all that mess, and he says, you know what? I think now is the perfect time to send Jesus. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Good point, and I think man. Jesus looks back at him and smiles and goes, I was just thinking that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's happening now. Things are terrible. Things are chaotic. But I think God is looking down and he's like, what a what better time mm-hmm. to come down yes. and save them than when they really need a savior? What better time to come and show them who their savior is and who they should put their trust in and their hope in than right now. Mm -hmm. And I believe that's why it's happening. Yes. And that's why we're going to see it more and more. You know, they say 
It's always darkest before the dawn, mm -hmm. and there is some truth to that scientifically. And so if you look around and you see mostly darkness, I want you to have faith that the dawn is coming soon. And when you hear the little glimpses like of uh, Morio Murillo in Fresno, California, and powerful things happening there, things happening in San Diego, California, revival breaking out in other places, have hope because God is on the move. And I think he, like you say, is bringing revival out of the rubble. Mm -hmm. Amen. And that's a good prayer to pray. God, bring it out of the ashes. Bring revival Amen. Out, of, out of the rubble. And as we have talked about awakening, revival, whatever we want to term it, I have thought about several uh, different truths related to revival that I'd like to share Please. Uh, with this group of listeners. The first thing that I see is that God uses little people. Mm. God teams up with people who don't have a reputation, who aren't known, and he chooses to work with them to bring mighty sh shaking. And I'll just give some examples. William Seymour, 34 years old, a, a one-eyed African-American who was known by uh, a well-known Pentecostal, Charles Parham, who was discipling William. But God chose to use William, not Charles, to bring the great Azusa Street revival. He comes out to California on a whim because Miss Hutchins would like him to preach there in California. He gets some money and comes out and he preaches, not having experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that must have turned her off and turned off the church because he came back the next Sunday expecting to preach and the place was locked. So he, <laughs> he, he knew that wasn't going to work. That's, that's not so subtle. <laughs> no. We locked the church on you. And so he went down the street to Bonnie Bray and he started preaching from the porch and the people started to gather. He still wasn't filled with the Spirit. This was in February, March, 1906. And crowds are gathering. And this it's noisy at night. But then the porch collapses. There's too many people. I mean, there are hundreds there. There, he was gathering a crowd. And uh, people wailing uh, in the middle of the night. And so they had to look for another place. And this guy wasn't going to give up. And somebody tells him about a warehouse. It's a smelly warehouse because after it was used by the African Episcopal Methodist, it was a horse stable. Nice. It was a warehouse, 4,800 feet. The first floor, which is the floor that they met, was eight feet high. I mean, wow. if you're a tall guy, look out. Don't raise your hands because you're going to hit the ceiling. Yeah. Uh, so it had to be uncomfortable and with a dirt floor and you're gonna you're, they're gonna start cram, cramming people in that place they started with 50 60 that's how many they had but it turned out that they had anywhere from 300 to 1500 that's a lot of people at that place they lived up in the second floor and they had a big prayer thing up in the second floor as well and we're talking about a uh, this was not a nice building that's correct right I mean dirt that's floor correct. right and it's in the poorest part of Los Angeles. I yeah. know that area. Well, and it's in, it's in the black neighborhood, like mm -hmm. the black ghetto at the mm -hmm. time. Yeah. Where this is, this is where 
They were not supposed to leave the area, and white people rarely came in. It was Jim Crow days. Yes. But the amazing thing about the meetings is that you had Latinos, you had Asians, you had blacks, you had whites. So much mixture that they loved it. Charles Parham was turned off by a it. A lot of people Very spoke sad. against it because of that. Because of that. Which That's is right. a horrible thing. Yes. But a lot of people also embraced it. How Sometimes we, we focus on the negative. And I think we need to bring up the negative in, in church history, especially when it comes to racism and things mm -hmm. like that, because... We have messed it up so many times, but there were a lot of people, to their credit, who were like, why would this be bad? Isn't this good? Yeah. Doesn't this sound like Acts chapter 2, which specifically mentions all the different colors of people who were there, almost mm -hmm. as if God wanted it that way. <laughs> like, maybe, maybe that's a good thing. So, I mean, some people embraced it. Others probably came in racist, felt the presence of God, and said, huh. Well, maybe I'm wrong. As a matter of fact, listen to this. One Pentecostal paper, well-dressed preachers came to investigate. <clears throat> Soon their high looks <clears throat> excuse me, were replaced with wonder, then conviction, and very often you find them wallowing on the dirty floor asking God to forgive them. Remember, they're coming in well-dressed, Mm -hmm. They're on a dirt floor, and they're mm -hmm. wallowing. <laughs> they're going to get dirty. Plus, there are flies. Oh, yeah. The flies are still there. I read about it, and they said, yeah, they didn't clear all the flies away. <laughs> well, how could you? No. So, so God uses a known name that now claims 500 million people, charismatics around the world, Pentecostal, who look back to Azusa Street and say, way to go, William. Way to open up the Spirit of God. He, by the way, was baptized in the Spirit two days before he started preaching at Azusa Street. It was brand new. Mm -hmm. And then God started bringing him. So you're telling me, Paul, that a guy without quote-unquote adequate education, with definitely no practical experience, having just been baptized with the Spirit, a guy with one eye... <laughs> And a guy who, let's face it, was highly disadvantaged because of his ethnicity and skin color. And he wasn't a, he was a dark-skinned African descendant, okay? God intentionally chose that guy. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that great? Yeah. I love it. I love it too. I mean, it's the greatest thing. Yes. I love, I've always loved this particular one, Azusa Street, because God intentionally chose the black church. This yeah. God, folks, I think you've noticed this by now, but God doesn't do stuff by accident. <laughs> he doesn't throw darts. Mm -hmm. I'd be like, huh, what do you know? Who would have guessed those folks are the ones who get the revival? No, this stuff is planned out from like the creation of the world. We're talking about God here. We're talking about yeah. God. And he, knowing people would reject it just because of the race issue, knowing the problems it was going to have, he chose it anyway, and I think that is a powerful state. It is a powerful and state. And the, the only reason the, the uh, Azusa Street Revival isn't called the Great Awakening is because it's not because of impact. As you said, there's 500 million descendants from this and they were sending dirt floor church. Missionaries. That's why. Missionaries all over the world. Yep. And that's why. 50 countries within one year. 50 countries were touched. Yep. And so the, the focus, God's intent, was yes, that it would bless the United States. 
for sure, and we can talk about more about that, but it wasn't primarily to, uh, to awaken and transform the United States, not in the same way. It was instead to go out to the world, and it remained primarily poorer people and lower class people. And so they went to the poor countries and the poor areas and brought the gospel to them. And so that, that whole initial kind of Pentecostal wave that went through was very much for the other guys, mm -hmm. the disenfranchised, it's... not the ones that write the books and teach the classes. They're for everybody else, which is exactly what God loves to do. You look at it throughout scripture. I mean, remember, Jesus was from Nazareth. That was the no account of the no account. Like people made fun of it. When Philip first heard, hey, you got to come check out this preacher from Nazareth. Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Mm -hmm. That was his response. And I mm -hmm. don't think that was a joke. I mean, it sounds funny now, but I think he was actually like, seriously though. Yeah. Can no, anything I, good possibly come from there? Aren't they all like inbred hill people? You're, you're, you've lost it. You're crazy. Um, and God loves that. He loves using the small, the no account, the people who nobody knows, the pastors of 60, churches with 50 and 60 people. I'm not saying God doesn't use mega churches. I'm just saying when it comes to these kind of big moves of God, he often chooses clay jars to fill with his glory because that's how God does stuff. Yes, 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 yes. I loved the, the, what happened with the missionaries. Listen to this. By October, I told you it started in April of 1906. In October of 1906, 38 were sent out. That's missionaries. After a few months, mm -hmm. they're beginning to touch the world. Yeah. They're going out all over. But see, they got it right. God touched them. They dealt with what God was dealing with them personally about as a church, as a community. But they immediately recognized that this wasn't for them. Yes. It wasn't theirs. God wasn't dumping this out so that they could have a party. He was doing it to empower them. And they to were, get out of the upper room and on to the streets. There were remarkable miracles. Yeah. I read about the remark, blind eyes seeing. Mm -hmm. I wonder why they didn't, nothing happened to his one eye. I know. I don't but like the, that part of the story. Also. But, uh, but they had powerful miracles. And then people took that anointing with them when they went around the world. Yep. Within two years, they were touching 50 nations. This little no-name church on Azusa Street, poor section. Amazing. It's, it's phenomenal. And that's the kind of stuff God wants to do. So Now, now Azusa so, Street did affect the United States as well. The, I mean, I, I think the biggest, the biggest effect was global, I agree. Um, but the, and the reason it's not considered a Great Awakening is because of, it didn't have the same kind of long-term effect on the United States. But I would actually argue that it did. <coughs> because the Pentecostal movement obviously came directly out of Azusa Street, right? And that eventually led to the charismatic renewal of the mainline denominations, which you were such a big part of. And all of that led pretty directly to modern worship revival kind mm -hmm. of music. Mm -hmm. And then, then you eventually you have Toronto, which goes to England and Australia, and then the true worship revival started, where now... I go to churches that I used to go to 20 years ago, evangelical, non-spirit-filled churches. Mm -hmm. And you'd go, and at worship, nobody was raising their hands. People were singing songs. It was song time, not worship time, in mm -hmm. my opinion. Mm -hmm. Okay? 
You go to those same places now, it's worship time. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be a charismatic church. They might mm -hmm. not talk about being filled with the Spirit. They might not talk about the presence of God in worship, but people are worshiping God. Yes. And nobody mm -hmm. cares if anybody's raising hands. Mm -hmm. There are still some churches that care, but it's very few. Mm -hmm. And that has changed in my lifetime. Huge That's changed change. in my professional career lifetime. Mm -hmm. So only mm -hmm. 20 years. Um, it's pretty amazing. It is amazing. And all of that, all of that can trace its roots back to Azusa Street. Mm -hmm. So it really has affected the whole church. Yes. To the point where there, there are still people who you're like, oh, you're, are you a tongue speaker? Like, you know, that might be a little bit of a contention for some people now, but everybody at least knows about it. And everybody knows someone who is of that ilk. Almost mm -hmm. everybody does. Mm -hmm. Whereas in 1906, very few people were doing it. Uh -uh. I mean, Quakers sat around waiting for the Holy Spirit to move. Um, and there were others who had, but it was, it was rare. And now it's not rare. It's common, very common yeah. to expect God to speak mm -hmm. and to encourage each other to listen and follow, mm -hmm. um, and to expect to sense God's presence. Yeah. But that's an expectation now. Whenever two or three people gathered together, we expect God to do something. Yeah. And that was not the case before. Before, the expectation was if your preacher, if your pastor is really good, God might do something through him for you. That was the expectation. Mm -hmm. Pentecostalism, the Azusa Street effect, transformed the church because it's, it ripped the authority, the spiritual authority, out of the hands of the clergy and put it into the hands of the people mm -hmm. in a way that hadn't happened even in America, where that had happened more than anywhere else. Mm -hmm. It happened even more. Um, and I applaud it because it's good. <laughs> and he was so humble that maybe that's another reason why God chose him. I do he think the humility was a big part of it. He did not try to take the reins. Mm -hmm. He did not have altar calls. God did the altar calls. He yep. did not. In fact, when people came in and you could tell that they were disruptive, he would just look out from behind his box. He would be behind two shoe boxes. And he would look out and he would say, pray, saints. That's all he'd say. And then God would deal with them. God would put them on the floor mm -hmm. and deal with those naysayers. So, and they, were, they, they did not have altar calls. They did not bring people forward. They, uh, they let God do what he yep. was going to do. And I think that's one of the things I think of when I think of a full-on revival atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things I long to, again, because I have such a strong belief in the priesthood of all believers that, you know, when God is fully present, when the, when the majesty of God is fully in a place, you don't need prayer ministry mm -hmm. and you don't need altar calls yeah. because people will get healed right where they sit. Yeah. Yeah. People will get delivered right where they sit. Um, you can still have proclamation, I think, and that sort of thing. And I'm not saying prayer ministry is bad in those contexts. I'm just saying God is God. He doesn't yeah. need to use one specific method or another. Let me, just, let me just look at a few other people <clears throat> who are no names. You know who they are. Peggy and Christine. Okay. Yeah, we mentioned Peggy and Christine from uh, a couple weeks ago from Scotland. Yes. Hebrides Islands. Yes. And they, 84 and 82, blind and invalids, and God used them powerfully. They're praying to bring about that revival. And Chuck Smith, he was a pastor of 65 people. Yeah, little country little church. <laughs> on the edge of town. And uh, he opened his doors. His wife, Kay, said, you need to open your door to these pot-smoking, guitar-toting, barefoot hippies. And he did. And 
Because a lot of churches didn't. A lot of churches didn't. Many churches didn't. To, to their shame. That changed the face of that. That really had an impact on worship. It yes. changed how we do worship. We're still doing it the way. Because now we have worship sets where we never had. We had one or two songs. Yeah. And well, they and start doing it at Calvary that's where, Chapel. That's where all the great famous choruses come from. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. A lot of which really permeated the culture at the time. Kumbaya and all those kind of mm -hmm. old songs all come out of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Because those same hippies with the guitar on their back are now filled with the Spirit, so they're going to be singing to Jesus. So that was one thing I wanted to emphasize. Shall we... Shall we uh, yeah, why, why don't we save the rest for next week? Because I think that's it's such a good point. God uses the little ones. He uses the outcast. He uses the thrown away. You know, I think of Rahab in Jericho, mm. who had mm. been a prostitute. God uses people who the world would disqualify. Mm -hmm. The world would disqualify all those folks. And there's many within Jesus' genetic line. You know, you got Rahab, you got Ruth, you got a lot of them. Yeah. And there's many in our own country's history as well that they, they, are, they are the small, the unknown, the unskilled, the uneducated, the un, on everything, right? Mm -hmm. God loves using the uns. Mm -hmm. And that's not saying anything against the mega churches or anything like that. God obviously uses those folks too. But a lot of us have a tendency, I think, to look around and be like, well, I'm never going to be able to do much for God because I'm not one of those guys. Mm -hmm. right? And that's not how God thinks at all. Not at all. So whoever you are, where you're listening to this right now, God desires to partner with you and to mm. co-labor with you. Mm. So consider signing up for that yoke. You know, a yoke is a big piece of wood that, that connects two oxens together. And Jesus says, if you yoke up with me, you will find that your burden will be easier. <laughs> you still have a burden. We all have a calling. And sometimes it's a burden and sometimes it's hard. But when we yoke up with Jesus, our burden is easier. And because he carries most of that load, mm -hmm. he knows where he's going. And another way to say that in, in, in Greek is, is that it, my yoke fits you perfectly. Mm -hmm. It's for you. And so God has called you to some things. And in the days of he ahead, he's going to probably start revealing more and more what it is he's calling you to do. That's because right. you are not alive in these days by accident. God, in his sovereignty, decided that you needed to be alive during the Third Great Awakening. Mm -hmm. God decided you needed to be alive in these days. You were born for such a time as this. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what it is you're called to do. You might not even know yet. But God has a calling on your life. Mm -hmm. That I suspect, if he were to show up and tell you it right now, you would not believe it. Because it would sound too big. It would sound outside your skill set, outside your experience, outside your comfort zone, perhaps. But God, I pray that you would help mm -hmm. our listeners yes, oh God. to put everything on the altar before you and to be willing to accept your yoke and what it is you're calling them to do and that they would follow. There are people listening to this who are called to amazing and miraculous things in the days ahead. And I pray that they would humble themselves and submit to that and enlist and sign up for what it is you're doing. We praise you for the opportunity. I, I can't believe it to this day that you ask us to be a part of these amazing things because mm. you could do it on your own, but you don't. You never do it that way. You ask us 
to join with you, us who do not deserve it and have no reputation or resume that says we should be able to do these things, but you want to do them with us anyway. I praise you for that. I love it. I want to add one thing. I pray for those who are finding it difficult to believe that, that you would give them a dream, give them a vision, do something to say to them, I have called you for this purpose, for this hour, for this season, for this challenge. Give them a sense of destiny. My, how you used William Seymour. Young, wrong color, handicapped, and unknown except in heaven. Thank you for using him. Thank you for choosing him. And thank you for the people that you have chosen that you're going to use in marvelous ways in the days ahead as they put their trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. That is it for this episode of Things Christians Want to Know. If you have any questions or comments, please send them to questions at tcwkcast.com. We publish every Thursday, so tell your friends and please rate us on iTunes. That's really helpful for us. Additional information, including links to Nate's blog, Paul's blog, etc., can be found on tcwkcast.com. God bless.